us, Heavenly Father. Father, this is your time. This is the words that you want us to hear. I pray, Father, that our hearts and our minds will be open. Please speak through me. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The sermon title is The Choice is Yours. In Jonah chapter 1, now if you actually want to put the uh, Jonah 1 up on the uh, screen, would be great. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarnish from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarnish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarnish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And then, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was grown more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. 
Here we have a man chosen by God to warn a people about an impending judgment against them. And what does he do? He tries to run away from his assignment, run away from the task that God has assigned him to do. And this is the funny part. He actually thought that he can slip away and God wouldn't notice. I guess he didn't get the memo. God is omnipresent. When Jonah went to Joppa to pay for his fare, God was there. When he went on the ship and went down to the lowest part of the ship, God was there. Our Heavenly Father is in the business of saving souls. Does he really need us, erring mortals, to do this important task at hand? Let's remember, he has an army of mighty angels that he could send to do the job and to do a better job than we could ever do. No, God chooses us, not because he needs us, but that we may grow in the process of helping our fellow humans to come to the knowledge of God for themselves. So the Lord caused a raging storm upon the sea. It was time to get Jonah's attention. The captain found Jonah fast asleep, sleeping like a baby. He made known to the captain and the crew that the tempest that they were enduring was because of him. And if they cast him overboard, then all would be calm. Did they listen to Jonah? Well, not at first. For the, for the Bible records in verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Finally, they reluctantly picked him up and threw him it wasn't just the people of Nineveh that had a life-changing experience from Jonah. About a week before Jonah got to Nineveh, a captain and his crew had a life-changing experience as well. For they were witnesses to the power of the one and true living God. For in verse 16 it states, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Each one of us can work with God in sharing light to a darkened world. I have not found yet in the Bible or in Ella White's writings where God has placed an age restriction. I would like to share with you a what-if scenario. Now we have about 60 people in this church what if, after church, we all go downstairs for a bite to eat, and then after, we all go out to the streets of Belleville? What if each of us could contact just 10 people each, and then we would come back to the church to share our experience? That would represent a contact of 600 people in the Belleville area in just one day alone. What if we did this every Sabbath for the spring, summer, and fall months? Going to different areas too. From the first week in April to the last week in October, 
that would be 30 weeks. We would contact 600 people per week for 30 weeks, subtracting any rainy days. But let's say that every Sabbath had nice days. 30 weeks times 600 per week is 18,000 people could potentially be contacted in one year. What if one-tenth of one percent accepted Jesus and was baptized? Eighteen people would be added to the church every year. This church would become too small in a few short years. I must be honest with you. It scares me to the core. Just think about actually doing this. Let's ask ourselves this question. If Jesus was here in person in this church today, what do you think he would do after the church service today? Would he come to the Belmont Nursing Home with us and join in the song service? During the devotional time, would he get up and to speak encouraging words to the elderly? After the nursing home program was done, would we find him on the streets of Belleville talking with those out there about the kingdom of God? Or would we find him as soon as church is done, hopping in his car, going home to eat lunch all by himself? When he is all done eating at home, would we find him taking an afternoon snooze? Maybe we'll find him on his computer watching Doug Batchelor for Sabbath afternoon activities. What do you think Jesus would do with his time during these precious Sabbath hours? In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, for the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. I have a question for you. Do your neighbors know? Do your neighbors know of this commandment? I'm talking about the people that live where you live. Do they know that God wants them to rest on his special day? We are a light in our communities where we live. When we watch the mission spotlight, what do we see? Well, what I see are normal people, just like you and I, going out and sharing the good news to their communities. Yes, they likely are getting a lot of people saying no to them, but that does not stop them. They continue to push on, and God is blessing their efforts. They are not relying on a God's closet event to bring people to them. They are going out and talking to them. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease 
and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We, everyone in this church, are those laborers. You see, every day that goes by, Jesus' return is one day closer. Are we really preparing ourselves for that day? About six months ago, on this very platform, a sermon was presented about the harmful effects of processed sugar, how processed sugar is toxic to the liver. It was backed up with Ellen White's writings in Councils in Diets and Foods, Chapter 19. Ellen White writes, Sugar is not good for the stomach. It causes fermentation, and this clouds the brain and brings trevivishness into the disposition. Far too much sugar is ordinary, ordinarily used in cakes, in food, cakes, sweet puddings, pastries, jellies, jams are active causes of indigestion. Especially harmful are the custards and puddings in which milk, eggs, and sugar are the chief ingredients. The free use of milk and sugar taken together should be avoided. As a side note, ice cream falls in that category. Sugar clogs the system. It hinders the working of the living machine. We should not be prevailed upon to take anything into the mouth that will bring the body into an unhealthy condition, no matter how much we like it. Why? Because we are God's property. Are you serious about getting ready for Jesus' second coming? Last week for potluck, what was your choice of dessert? Now someone is lucky saying to themselves, Listen, I love Jesus. What does it matter if I like to have a piece of pie or cake for my dessert? Well, God gave that answer through Ellen White in Testimonies, Volume 3, page 491. The controlling power of appetite will prove the ruin of thousands when, if they had conquered on this point, they would have had moral power to gain the victory over every other temptation of Satan. But those who are slaves to appetite will fail in perfecting Christian character. Are you allowing appetite to control you? Or are you controlling your appetite? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19-20, through 20, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Are you taking anything in your body that is harmful? About 100 years ago, Adventists were warned by Ellen White to avoid caffeine. She said this, The stimulating diet and drink of this day are not conducive 
to the best state of health. Tea, coffee, and tobacco are all stimulating and contain poisons. They are not only unnecessary, but harmful and should be discarded. The Review and Herald, February 21, 1888. As another side note, decaffeinated coffee has, still has caffeine in it. I am basing this on a small beverage size at your favorite fast food spot. These figures are just a baseline. Coffee has about 140 milligrams of caffeine in it. Decaf has six. Hot chocolate, 15. And green tea. No, Scott, don't say anything about green tea. Green tea is the healthiest beverage on this planet. It's loaded with antioxidants and nutrients that have a powerful effect on the body. These include improved brain function, fat loss, and a lower risk of cancer, and many other impressive benefits. But, nevertheless, it carries about 25 milligrams per small cup. The question that you should, be, that you should ask yourself, are you knowingly poisoning your body? Let us remember 1 Corinthians 6.19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 12, verses 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Are you fulfilling this Bible text in your life? Or are you doing what you want to do when you want to do it? Christian Service, page 41, Ellen White writes, It is a solemn statement that I make to the church that not one in 20 whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as a common sinner. In a 1 to 20 ratio, we have about 60 people here. That would be about three would be ready when Jesus comes. But Ellen White writes, not 1 in 20, so less than a 1 in 20. In this congregational size, about two will be ready when Jesus comes. Feel free to look around and see how terrible that ratio really is, that only around two people are serious about their salvation. Uh, Ray, Ray, can you stand up please? Yeah, yeah, stand up please. Uh, Jean, can you stand up too? Everybody, this is only a demonstration so do not think that I'm placing you in a particular category. This is only for demonstrational purposes only. In this demonstration, I want the church to see what these numbers really represent. God, in his infinite love, has warned Ellen White what the church is facing. Look around at all those sitting down, myself included. We are the lost. We fail to allow the Holy Spirit to perfect the transformation of Christ's character in each one of us. And for what? Because we want to do what we want to do? 
Because we enjoy our tobacco products, we like to see our money go up in smoke. Because we want to eat sweet foods that are harmful to our health. Because we like our little sinful habits or desires. Please sit down. Thank you. I want you to picture this. It's the end of time. Soon there appears in the east a small black cloud about half the size of a man's hand. It is the cloud which surrounds the Savior and which seems to, that seems in the distance to be shrouded in darkness. The people of God know this to be the sign of the Son of Man. In solemn silence they gaze upon it as it draws nearer and nearer, becoming lighter and more glorious until it is a great white cloud, its base a glory like consuming fire, and above it the rainbow of the covenant. Jesus rides forth as a mighty conqueror. Jesus is coming. And instead of feeling joyful of Christ's return, you feel terrified. Or how about this? You fall asleep in death, and you wake up after the millennium. How would you feel? You spend all those years in church. You pay your tithe. You work for God doing church stuff, but you didn't allow the Holy Spirit to change your character. This is not a fable. God, in his love for his people, has shown Ellen White what will transpire. You see, accepting Jesus as your personal Savior and getting baptized is not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. Jesus wants his character to be perfectly transformed into yours. If we are willfully poisoning our bodies with what we are taking in our mouths, how can we expect a holy being, the Holy Spirit, to come into our lives to transform us? The question that you need to ask yourself, are you really serious about your salvation? Do you want to have your character change to reflect Christ's character and live with Jesus forever? Or do you want to do what you want to do and perish in the lake of fire and be dead forever? The choice is yours. Thank you.